Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. How's everybody doing this morning? Hopefully pretty well. Um, as I've shared with you in the past, I am, I mean, I'm, I love the fall. This, this is the time of year. It just, uh, I just get so excited. I enjoy getting to... Uh, I uh, kind of feel the seasons change, and I know some of you are the opposite. Some of you f- see your beach days going away, and all you can anticipate is the snow that's coming, and it makes you like already grumpy. Just wait for it to get cold before you you have that demeanor, okay? Like let some of us enjoy it, and I know some of you weirdos in here like are actually anticipating the snow, and that's jacked up too. But whatever, um, man. I just uh, I, I I love. Uh, what we've been able to talk about in the last few weeks leading up to this conclusion of this series today. And um, it just so happens to fall at my same, the same uh, time of year that I, I, I love uh, this season. So I've, I have been kind of asking questions fall-related as we get into um, October now. So let me, uh, let me go back. Let's see who's in the room. Uh, we talked a lot about like pumpkins a couple weeks ago. I noticed that some of you said that you didn't like pumpkin drinks. If you had to choose, like I was going through Dunkin', and I saw a whole lot of advertisements for pumpkin, and then I saw they have like a special add-on for people who don't like pumpkin. They have the apple cider. So if you had to pick between those two, let's just see what kind of crowd we got here today. Those of you that are tuning in online, you can vote. You can type in your answer. I won't see it, but, you know, participate. Um, how many of you, if you had to pick between those two, you would say, I'm like the pumpkin person, the pumpkin latte, kind of that's the thing. And if you said, if I had to pick, I would go the apple cider. How many say with the apple cider? Wow, some anti-pumpkin people in here. All right. Okay, now to that, though, now, and that's kind of how I thought you'd vote. But like, think, think about this. If you had to like, take that same idea and go, okay, I had to go do one activity. I can either go apple picking or I can go to like, a pumpkin patch and pick out a pumpkin. How many would go apple picking? That would be your thing this season. Wow, okay. How many you'd say I go pumpkin patch, kind of go get me one, carve a pumpkin, whatever. Man, apples are kicking butt today. <laughs> Some of you are, are you're like, it's the first week of October. I'm already sick of pumpkins. I don't need any more of that. All right, that's fine. How many of you are going to plan on wearing a costume at some point this month? Like you're, you're into the, the Halloween or your work thing. Or you go out with the kids. Some of you just want free candy, I can tell. That's fine. All right. I, I just like seeing what kind of church we have, who's here today, you know, who to avoid after the service. Um, <laughs> I mean that. I didn't mean to say that out loud. Um, I want to. Uh, I want to jump into what it is that we're going to be discussing today at the conclusion of our trust issues. Our our challenge uh, for the last uh, month has been uh, to trust God more, and we've been taking a trust challenge and talking about our issues with trusting God. When God tells us to trust Him, that's an easy thing for us to say. Oh, I'm going to trust God more. I'll trust God more. We can say it quickly. But when it comes time to actually trust him, what we're, what we're really saying when we tell God, like in our prayer life, God, I want to trust you more today, what we're saying is, God, I want you to push me out of my comfort zone. And we don't like it, and you can look at anybody else and go, I would do that if I was him, I could handle that if I was her, because that's their comfort zone, and, the, and what they're being pushed out of won't scare you. But when God grows your faith, when you're called to trust him more, it will scare you, and it will be in an area and around a circumstance involving a person or a thing that is hard for you because that's how your faith grows. So when we say, I want to trust God more, he's going to push you out of your comfort zone in a way that's going to make you go, okay, I wish I hadn't said that. I don't want that anymore. It's an easy thing to say. It's a hard thing to do. And we've, we've walked through it, this trust challenge. We've talked first about God using our talents 
the fact that he's gifted us uh, to do certain things. He's, he's wired us certain ways. Everybody in here has talents that God has given you. How do you use the body, the brain, the mind that God has given you? Kaylee shared a story with a lady who, although invalid, managed to impact hundreds of thousands of people uh, with just s- some of her writing. It's not about like how gifted do you think you are. It's about are you willing to allow God to use you? So we talked about talents. And then we talked about time. And how the fact that everybody's got 24 hours in a day, but we schedule ourselves so much that we don't really give God access to us. And we don't have any time left over for God. And do you trust God with some of the time that you spend on all the things that you could spend it on? Do you give some of that to God just knowing that he can do more and re-energize you? Last week we talked about treasure. When we learn to give away what God has given to us, when we learn to be generous, when we learn to share, when we learn to trust God that way, do you actually trust God that he can do more with what you have left over than if you keep everything for yourself? All of these areas are going to push you to trust God in ways that make you feel uncomfortable, but that's how your faith grows. Today, we're looking at the very last one, and it's actually, to stay in line with all the T's, I'm calling it your testimony. Do you trust God with your testimony? It's an old school word, but it's, it's the idea of do you trust God with your story, with your, your ability to influence? So this is what the book of Revelation says. When you're looking, and the book of Revelation is, is, a, is a futuristic, it's prophecy, it's talking about what's coming at the end, and it actually uses the power of the testimony. Now we sang in that song that it was the, lamb, uh, the, the precious lamb of God. That's a reference to who Jesus is. Jesus was the final lamb sacrifice. Up until Jesus' life and then death on the cross, the people of that time, they would have to sacrifice a lamb to ask for forgiveness. And Jesus offers himself on the cross. He dies for you and I. He's the lamb of God is what he, he, uh, name he gets. And he was that final sacrifice. This is what it says in Revelations. It says that they have defeated him, talking about the believers... They've defeated him, talking about Satan. It's this whole battle leading up uh, to uh, this, um, the, coming to this head against, against Satan, the deceiver. Um, it's, it's a pretty heavy book, but it says they've defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. These people were so, the, the believers in the end, they're so willing to just tell people about who Jesus is and what he did for them. And it was the death of Jesus on the cross, but their willingness to share their story, to use their influence to tell people about what God had done in their lives, that is, in the end, how Satan is defeated. Now that's important because we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. This is the power that you and I have. I said last week, when when I challenged you to trust God with your money, when I challenged you to trust God with tithing and giving away your treasure, that one sounds the hardest. Oh, I don't want to hear a message on giving. That one sounds the hardest. It's actually the easiest. It's actually the easiest because money, it's just this this thing. And actually, once you let go of it, you kind of feel good. You're like, wow, that wasn't that bad. I mean, some of you. I'll give some of you more time on that. But for the most part, it's like, hey, you know what? It's not that big a deal. This one doesn't sound like it's a big deal. You're like, nah, it's just a story. It's just me talking to people. It's my ability to interact. It sounds easiest. I think this one's actually the hardest. This is the one that Satan knows is what ultimately defeats him, is that the power of Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross is the only way that Satan loses, and the only way people find out about what Jesus did is when the people that have experienced continue to tell others. And so he is going, uh, let's, let's crush this one. And so it's one of the hardest things for us to do is truly 
share our testimony. Now, Angela uh, Hansen, uh, she actually does the notes for our connect group. She posted this verse on her uh, Facebook or one of her social medias, and I was like, she stole my verse. But it's because she was thinking ahead, and she knows that we are going to be talking about this. And Angela has crushed our discussion questions. She writes the, yes, you can give it up. She puts, I mean, she puts so much time into helping us dive into every week's message. So this week at Connect Groups, you're going to be talking about what it looks like. If you want to go to a Connect Group, you can jump in. Even if you've never been to one, they're designed to just pick up on whatever we talk about today. So you're already doing all the homework. You're hearing the message. If you go to a Connect Group this week, you can jump into any one of them. They're all over the place at different nights during the week. Jump into one, and you're going to talk about what does it look like to use your story to use influence. God has given everybody here the ability to influence. It may be just taking a few minutes out of your day to talk to that person at work who God goes, hey, hey, they're not having a good day. And your temptation is going to be, I'm busy. I, I got stuff. Oh, wait, I told God I would let him have some of my time. Or maybe this is how he wants to use it. I told God he could have access to my talents. Maybe he just wants me to be an ear that comes over or a smile. Maybe I, I told God, I told God he could, he could push me to trust him more, and I don't think that they want me to talk to him, but if you're pulling me to go over and talk to him, then, hey, what's going on? Uh, you know, and we just start to share, and your ability to influence is what God's going to use to change people's lives. Well, Josh, uh, sounds kind of a little bit, I, like, I don't know, I'm not into apologetics, I'm not into, like, sharing my faith and argument, debate, I, I'm not even really talking about that. Here, let me show you. This is what it says. If you want to know what, what, what a testimony is, the Bible actually gives us the definition. If you go to 1 John chapter 5, it says in 1 John chapter 5, this is the testimony. Here you go. Here, this is the story. If you want to know, I don't know what story I'm supposed to tell. Here's the story. God gave us life, and it comes through his son, Jesus. That's the story. However it plays out in your life is your testimony. Hey, man, I found life. I've got life. I've got, the Bible says it's abundant life. I've got something in me that you need to know about. Now, I think people have jacked this up. Now, listen, I went to seminary and at school, they had an entire evangelism class. And that is a little bit of what I'm talking about and a lot of not what I'm talking about. Because I think some of you have heard this, like, oh, I'm supposed to, to witness and to evangelize. And yes, there's a great part of sharing your faith. But I think a lot of people get it backwards they don't even look at how Jesus did it. Jesus began to talk about himself after he'd already showed love and compassion. And he began to meet the needs of the people around him. I shared with you last week that Jesus fed 4,000 people. And then he said, and you need to follow me. And those 4,000 dwindled down to just a couple hundred real quick. Because, yeah, there's people who just want their physical needs met. And they're takers. And they're consumers, and they're broken. And so are you, and so am I. But some of us, even though being broken, we said, hey, I, I want to know more about this God who can meet my needs. And as you begin to lean in, and I think some of you here today, that may be all that you're going to take away from today's message, is that you need to have that moment where you truly trust God and that you begin to have your own story of him changing you from the inside out. Some of you have never experienced that, and so you can't have a testimony today. You have nothing to share because there's never been a change. You can try to fabricate it. You can try to be like, well, 
uh, I, think, I, I think God would be really good. I think God's, God's a good God. I think God could do good stuff. I, I like the idea. I read some stories. But it's not, there's never been a life change happen inside of you to actually speak from experience. And what that verse is saying is that the, the entire testimony, the entire thing you're supposed to share is that God gives life. And that life comes through Jesus. And if you've invited Jesus in, you now get a story. You now have something to share. This isn't a new school thing, by the way. You're like, oh, this is all New Testament. David, who wrote a lot of the Psalms, David in Psalms chapter 35 speaks to the idea, he, he, he speaks to this testimony idea, this proclaiming, this I will influence people as much as I can. He says, my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and your praise all the day long. When you bump into me, I'm going to be talking about God. I'm going to talk about how awesome he is. I'm going to talk about all the awesome things he does. David also writes, let me go before kings and proclaim you. David's like, I ain't just talking to like the people who have to say yes to me. I'm talking to other kings. I'll talk to anybody, whoever they are. I'll tell them about you, God, because you've changed me. You've impacted me. So whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, this idea that we're supposed to go and have influence, we're supposed to, to, to speak into other people's lives, the challenge at the end of the trust challenge, is who are you impacting today? Who are you influencing today? Oh, well, you know, I have some friends, and I have some people I work with, and no, 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 I'm not asking about who you talk to. I'm asking about who you actually influence. Who do you actually impact? Who are you sharing your testimony with? Who are you pointing to Jesus I'm not saying you're getting up on stage and preaching a message. I'm not saying that you're getting up and you're, 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 you're expounding Bible verses and you're going deep into theology. I'm just saying, how many of them are you showing the love of Jesus to? Oh, I have one family member that I really like. <laughs> I, I understand that, but that's not, who, uh, that's not all that God called you to love. Not just your favorite family member. Your least favorite one also deserves Jesus' love. And your coworker. And let's not forget that whole love thy neighbor thing. I got quiet in here, church. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to love the people around us. We're supposed to love them the way that we love ourselves. And if Jesus really is the solution to the problem of sin, if Jesus really is the antidote to the, to the poison that in, that, that we're all born with, if that really is the answer and you have it and you're supposed to treat people the way you want them to be treated, then if you were walking around poisoned and somebody had a solution to it, what would you want them to do for you? You would want them to make sure that you knew that there was an option as opposed to living the rest of your life poisoned. You would say, please share with me this solution to this problem that I have. And a lot of you know the solution, you've heard the story, you've experienced Christ, but then you hold it and you're like, ah, I don't know what they're going to say. They look busy. And this is something we're going to speak to today in this idea of trusting God with our testimony. Here's something I get a lot. I just, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I'm really new. <laughs> I'm really new. And? No, but you don't understand, I haven't been doing this church thing very long. Like, I've only come to Harbor a couple of times. And? But I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't even, I don't, I, I can't even recite one verse. And? Well, here's my point, and I can do this all day because I like, like saying back things that people say to me. Um, 
it's not about your experience. In Luke, I think it's Luke chapter 8, we read this story. Uh, Jesus goes and he heals a demonic uh, a demonic possessed person, this demoniac guy named Legion, he had so many, he had thousands of demons in him. Not just, not just one, had tons of demons in him, so much that they named him Legion because of how many demons had possessed this man. Home Slice was crazy. If you weren't here for this message, you need to go to the peeled message and, and watch about, about how Jesus shows up. Guy was naked, living in a cemetery, had chains hanging off of him because they couldn't restrain him cutting himself, I mean, terrorizing the countryside, and Jesus shows up and changes his life. Changes his life. One encounter with Jesus, demons are gone, he gets clothed, he's sitting there, and he goes, Jesus, let me be one of your disciples. And in verse number 39, it says, no, Jesus goes, no, go back to your family. No, go back to your family, take a bunch of Bible courses, go to church for 23 years, become a deacon, a Bible school teacher. Like, he doesn't give him all this criteria, he says, go back. And tell them everything. Tell them. Tell them you're pretty jacked up, Holmes. Tell them about like you being crazy. And then tell them about meeting Jesus and how it changes your life. And what all he's done for you. And the guy, he didn't just go back to his family. He went back to his town. And he tells everybody. And I shared with you guys the last time we did this story. Jesus has to get in the boat and leave. Because that area doesn't want Jesus. They don't want to hear from Jesus. The only person that Jesus encounters on that trip across the sea is that one demon-possessed man. And then they make Jesus leave because they're afraid. So Jesus gets in a boat and he leaves. Later when Jesus comes back, there's a huge revival there. Jesus left one person. One person to walk around going, I met a guy! Woo! I really think the demoniac was like the first Ric Flair. Woo! Let's go! He's like, I met somebody! You guys remember me? Naked, crazy cemetery guy? Something happened. I got to tell you. And when, they, when they're like, that is a naked, crazy cemetery guy. <laughs> then they're like, oh, what happened to him? It was his story. It was his testimony of a change that had happened. He never, he didn't get, he didn't have years of experience in sharing his faith. He had 10 minutes of knowing Jesus. And Jesus goes, now go tell other people. So I don't want to hear the bullcrap excuse of, I just haven't been going to church for a long time, and I don't really know enough. It doesn't matter. If God has done something in your life, you have a story to share. Make some noise this morning, Harbor Church. You may think, well, that's that guy. I'm, I'm not demon-possessed today. Thank you. <laughs> that's a win for the record. Um, and you say, well, I'm just... I don't have an amazing story like that, so God's not going to use me in an amazing way. You don't know that. You know, I'm just a nobody. I don't have anything dramatic. There's, it wasn't like I, I, was, I was at one really extreme end and then God did something else. No, I'm just normal I'm just, or I'm just boring. Let me tell you a story about a boring guy named Edward Kimball. You ever hear of this guy? Yeah, it's an incredibly exciting guy, right? You look at him, you go, huh, Edward Kimball. Just a, uh, uh, what was de described as a fairly shy, introverted guy, uh, pretty timid. But he said he would, he'd be willing to try to let God use him. And his church said, good, you get to teach a boy's Sunday school class. And he did what most people do when their pastors say they need to teach them the children's work. They go, oh. <laughs> when they should be going, yes. But uh, he goes, okay. He goes, I'll teach, I'll teach a Sunday school class. So he teaches a boys' Sunday school class. 
And like most people who have tried to teach kids, he found that some of them didn't pay attention very well. <laughs> and so one of the young men from his Sunday school class worked at a shoe store. And so he goes, all right, I'm going to go talk to this kid. And I still don't know what the real story is. If he went to just talk to this kid because he loved him, or if he went to talk to this kid because he's like, I've had it. <laughs> I don't know, but I know the kid wasn't paying attention, and his heart was broken for this kid. And he actually stood outside the shoe shop going, oh, God, I don't know if I should do this. God, I don't think I'm, ah. He couldn't even get up the nerve to go in and talk to this little, to this young man in the shoe store. But he did. And he told him that he needed, to, he needed to get his heart right, and he needed to give his life to Jesus, and he needed to let God change him. And Edward Kimball left that shoe store, and he gave his testimony. He, he didn't think it worked. He left feeling discouraged, going, I don't think that kid heard a word I said. But that kid, whose name was Dwight, ended up really listening to Edward Kimball's message or his conversation, and he gave his heart to Jesus. That guy became D.L. Moody. Dwight became D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody started what is the Moody Institute, started the Moody Church, which sent out like well over several thousand, maybe as many as 10,000 missionaries all across the world. It was one of the most impactful uh, missionaries and evangelists of all time. D.L. Moody, at one of his m meetings when he went over, got asked to preach over in England, and now D.L. Moody was an evangelist during the Civil War and during that era. He went over and he was speaking in England and a guy named Wilbur Chapman heard D.L. Moody preaching, and he gave his life to God during one of D.L. Moody's messages. Now, you may not know Wilbur Chapman. You got a name like Wilbur. It sounds like a Nick at Night TV show. Um, but he became a fairly well-known preacher. During one of Wilbur Chapman's messages, when he was preaching, uh, he got a chance to inf influence a, a baseball player. That baseball player was named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, under Chapman's leadership and, and through him investing in his life, Sunday picked up the mantle and started to become an evangelist himself. You guys, maybe you haven't heard of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday really kind of changed the face of preaching through the early 1900s. Like, I mean, he spoke through the Great Depression. He's the one who is credited with saying, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. He... <laughs> Guy used to tell it like it is, and he just, I mean, he just like hit people. Um, but Billy Sunday, this, this former baseball player turned evangelist, just, I mean, he just started bringing so many people to the Lord. And during one of his messages, a guy named Mordecai Ham came to know the Lord. And maybe you don't know who Mordecai Ham is, but Mordecai Ham actually became a fairly well-known preacher who started doing crusades. And during one of Mordecai Ham's crusades... He preached, at the end of his message, he played Just As I Am, the song that we just read. And during that altar call, that invitation to give your life to God, a man named uh, Billy Graham walked forward and accepted Christ. Now, Billy Graham, that song we just sang, Just As I Am, uh, that was the title of his biography. And it was the song that Billy Graham would play at the end of all of his crusades. Billy Graham is most likely, they think, is, the, is most likely to be the man who has preached to more people on the face of the earth than anybody. Billy Graham has preached to millions and millions of people. Just those faces on the board alone represent millions upon millions of people who have heard the story of Jesus Christ, the testimony of what God can do to bring life to others. Because one person said, I'll, I'll teach a Sunday school class. Hey, listen, I hope I'm looking at some, some Billy Grahams. 
but I may be looking at some Edward Kimballs too, and that's okay. You can't judge what your impact's going to be. You just say, God, if you give me influence and impact, I'll tell my neighbor, I'll tell my kids, I'll, 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 I'll love on my friends, I'll tell my family, I'll, my enemies, everybody needs to hear this. I'll try my best to impact and influence those around me because I believe that you can do something bigger than I can do. Do you guys understand how trust is woven through all of this? I'm trusting you, God, more than I'm trusting me. Everybody has the ability to influence. Everybody has the opportunity to do more. Here's what I need you to understand, because I want to read you a passage uh, that speaks to this. But when I talk about impacting and influencing, I'm not talking about convincing, okay? I'm not talking about convincing somebody to become saved or to follow after Jesus. When we get the idea that we're in an argument and debate, kind of knockout, this is not what, I talk, what I'm talking about with testimony. This is not what I'm saying when I'm, when I'm suggesting that you go and you become a witness, you, you share your faith with the people around you. I'm not saying go grab a bullhorn and walk through work ticking everybody off. I'm not saying go down and stand on the street corner and scream at people. A lot of people think, oh, sharing my faith or having influence means I've got to convince them. I've got to win the debate. I think we've really messed up in a lot of cases there. The Bible doesn't tell us to convince people. It tells us to compel people. If you look at Luke chapter 14, the master sends out his servants, and this is a, this is a parable speaking about how God is sending us out to tell people about him. He sends out his servants for this great wedding feast, and he says, uh, uh, the master looks at him, and nobody's showing up, and the master goes, well, hey, servants, if my friends aren't coming, then I want you to go out, go to the highways and the byways. Go to the popular places and the unpopular places. Go to the main places and the back alleys. You go wherever there's broken people. You go wherever there's messed up people. You go where there's tons of people. What he's saying is, I'm not, a, I'm not like... Like saying there's only a select few that's allowed. If you, if you can find somebody, you tell them about this party, and you invite them. You compel them to come so that my house may be filled. He doesn't say go out there and start debating with them. Go out there and post on your social media all the reasons that they're wrong. This is going to hurt for a second, okay? <clears throat> you didn't seem to be too excited about that. Let me, let me help you out. There is a great deal of damage being done by people who have an awesome message to share that are using the wrong tactics. It's being lost on people how gracious and loving and awesome and merciful and life-giving Jesus is because they're running into broken, miserable, grouchy, hateful, so determined to prove themselves right Christians that they can't hear the message for looking at the messenger. You are not winning people to the Lord by beating them over the head being obstinate. I, I don't know if you know this, like you can post like really like hateful stuff on your Facebook. Nobody's going, oh, that's a good argument. I think I'm going to join their side. They're just like unfriend, unfriend. And now you've lost your ability to influence. I'm not telling you don't take a stand for what's right. Absolutely, you take a stand for what's right. And I'm not even telling you if God tells you you need to go like intense, go intense. That's, that's between you and God. I, I understand that there's a time for different tactics. If I visit somebody at their deathbed or if, if, if they're in their last days, I, I'm, I'm going to be more blunt. And most of the time they really appreciate it. Because, like, hey, I don't got a lot of time. There's also point, places where I'm going, hey, I'm going to work with this person maybe for the next 20 years. How about I not burn every bridge I have with them today? You know? How about I just be the person that they look forward to seeing? Doesn't mean I compromise my values. It doesn't mean I condone 
their lifestyle. It doesn't mean that I, I, I betray my faith. It just means I show them the love of Christ. I, I might need to meet a physical need before I ever get an opportunity to meet a spiritual need. Now, some of us are like, oh, we don't have time for that. Let me just hit them with the gospel. Absolutely, you can. And everybody needs the gospel. Don't get me wrong. They need to hear about how God can change their life. They will hear it better when they see it demonstrated through your actions. That's you and me. We love it to be like, well, I just, I'm going to tell them they need Jesus because they need, you need Jesus and you need Jesus. You're definitely going to hell. You need Jesus. You need, that's how we want to go to work or our family reunions. And then we're surprised. Oh, I don't ever get invited to any parties. When Jesus went to parties, you need to understand Jesus was very well liked at parties because he was one of the few rabbis that actually talked to them. He didn't look down his nose at them. Now in that same line, this is going to be on the other side of it, okay? On the same line, he didn't do the sins that they were doing. He didn't jump in there and be like, yeah, let's do all this wicked stuff. No, he never sinned and he never condoned their sinning. He never told him it was okay to be stealing money. He never told him it was okay to be sleeping around. He never told him that what they were doing was okay. He loved them in spite of them being messed up. He never looked down his nose at them. He never made them feel unwelcome. He didn't condone their sin, but he also didn't condemn it. He just said, hey, I love you, and go and sin no more. And we messed this up because we're like, well, my, to have a testimony, I either have to be, or I have to just completely compromise. And that's not true. God has called us to live a life better than just jumping into all the things that our flesh craves. There is a truth to that. But more than them stopping doing the wrong things, which is, yes, I, I want my friends and my family to stop doing wrong things. I want to stop doing wrong things. Nobody? Like, you're, you're not a sinner anymore? Like, nobody else? Tra- like, don't worry so much about pulling the, the sawdust out of their eye when you got a giant telephone uh, you know, pole in your own eye. You worry about your sin. Let God worry about their sin. Just tell them, like, hey, God's the one that's going to solve both of our problems. When we begin to have this story and this heart and this attitude, we begin to understand it works a little bit different. But when we become arguers, then it's what Matthew chapter 7, verse number 6 says. And that says that you, you, you shouldn't cast these pearls and this, this beautiful story, this awesome message of the Son of God who would leave heaven and jump into the dumpster fire that is our lives to pull us out, that's a beautiful, valuable thing. And if they just want to argue, if they just want to be obstinate, if they're not really interested, you trying to like debate them into understanding that is like casting pearls before swine. You have this beautiful thing, and you're getting sucked into these online debates. You're getting baited into this public display of what will ultimately make you emotional and then bitter. And everybody's like, wow, she can't control her temper. I was trying to do a nice thing. You were casting your pearls before swine. you got to look and say, okay, hey, is this somebody that's genuinely wanting to have a conversation, or is this somebody trying to bait me into an argument? Is this somebody who's just really trying to be hateful? I still love them. And I still try to have conversations with them, but I'm not, they're, they're not looking to have an actual intellectual conversation. They're not looking to go, hey, what is it I don't understand? Or, hey, can we have a conversation about it? They're just looking to try to make a point. And so they're going to write things or say things, and you, you don't have to get sucked into that. It does say, and for the people in here, they're like, well, I think Pastor Josh is saying that I don't have to, I don't have to really tell people about Jesus. Well, I'm not. I think you should. This is what 1 Peter chapter 3 says. And you've got to remember, you've got to take Scripture with Scripture. You can't just pick the parts that you like. It says that you have to be ready to tell, always be prepared to make a defense, always have your apologetics, always be ready to explain the hope. 
You have to. You need to be ready. You don't get to leave here today, and then God puts somebody on your heart, and you go, well, I'm not ready. It's your job to be ready. If you didn't know that, sorry, just took away your last excuse card. Leave here ready to share your faith. Leave here ready to tell somebody about the hope you have. Yet, oh, some of you sledgehammer people. Yet, do it how? As bluntly as possible, making sure there's no mistake that I am right. Yet, do it how? Gentleness and respect. You know, you can show respect and be gentle with the message of Jesus Christ even when you're talking to somebody who voted for the other person to be president. Do you know that? Do you know that? That's almost blasphemy, Pastor. No, it's, it's sad that we lose our ability to be gentle and show respect when we get to a place that we disagree with somebody. You realize you may be in heaven with them? That's going to be really awkward, isn't it? What are you doing here? Right? That's going to be awkward. Do I have to live next to them for all eternity, God? Yeah. God's like, as a matter of fact, yeah. Like, you guys, you guys are sharing that house. You're like, dang it. Should have been nicer. Because that, that's, that's, that's not really what God is calling us to. He's, he's not saying, hey, let these little things on earth be your dividing uh, points. Let these be the stuff that pushes you apart. He, he actually says, if they're not against us, then they're with us. It doesn't matter what their political party is. It doesn't matter if they like sports or they like music. It doesn't matter. I mean, like, we find all the things to just be upset with people about. And what God is saying, with gentleness and respect, even if they have a different view than you have, you share your faith and you give them the reason that you have hope. And if they don't want that, that's between them and God. You don't have to take that personally. The Bible says that if they reject God, it's not, it's not on you. They're not rejecting you. Don't, don't feel like it's a you thing. Know that it's, it's them. So here's what I'm asking you to do today. We're asking you to take the trust challenge. And everybody should have one of these cards. And those of you that are watching online, you can take this challenge even though you don't have one of these cards. Everybody should have one of these cards in their seat. And I'm asking you today to take this challenge where you say, I, I'm going to let God use my testimony. I'm going to let God use my ability to influence others, not to argue with others, not to debate others, but to show the love of Christ, to give them the hope that I've got. I'm going to use it to make an impact and influence the lives of others by, and check some of these boxes, but check them if you mean them. Demonstrating Christ's love wherever possible. Christ's love. Christ was looking for a way to encourage people. Share a smile. Take a few minutes out of your incredibly busy day and sit down next to somebody and just listen. Come on now. You have no idea the last time that person had a friendly, a friendly face, a smile, and an ear just to hear them out. You might be the only person this week that that guy or that girl gets. So be that for them. Be the only picture of Christ they're going to see. I'm going to use my time, talents, and treasure to bless those that God puts in my path. God, if you've given me something and I can share that, I'm going to do it. And it may literally just be sitting there. It may be, I'm going to, I know that they, they like a coffee, I'm going to bring them a coffee. And if I've only got enough in my budget for one coffee, I guess I ain't drinking coffee today. I'm just going to share it. I'm going to be more Christ-like than anybody else that they see. That's what it's saying. 
Here's the one that I, I, I want you to be intentional because here's, here's the truth. My love for you as a pastor is to help you actually take real steps. I used to sit in these, mess, in these kind of messages and be like, yeah, that's all good. Ten minutes later, I'm thinking about what I'm eating. I walk out the door. I'm ready for the football game. I'm, just, I'm like, it was good while I was there, but then I forgot about it. Before you forget today's message, why don't you pray in this moment and say, God, is there somebody that I can be intentional with? Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's your parents or an uncle or an aunt or a grandparent. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's your teacher. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a boss or an employee. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody you need to actually go learn their name because you've seen them so many times, but you never made a connection. But put something down there to remind you. I'd challenge you to try to think of at least three people that you're going to be intentional with. And not long term, like in the next 10 years, try to, re- try to have some kind of impact or influence this week. It might just be a text message. But what if you wrote down the name of three people and say, God, I'm committing to you that you've given me an opportunity to influence them. I'm actually going to try to influence them in a way that shows them the hope that they can find in you. Do you guys understand the change that would be made in our community if just this group of people actually did that for three other people? If just this group of people and those of you watching online said, I'm going to try my best to influence three people for Jesus this week, the amount of love and compassion and mercy and grace that would be shared across the Cape and across uh, Massachusetts, would, would, it would have a, a, such a resounding effect that people go, what happened? Something's in the water. People are like being nice to people. Like, what? And then you might find, here's a crazy thing. You can do it for more than three people. <laughs> like, nope, hit my limit. I already was nice to three today. You're out of luck, buddy. Like, like it's not, that's not how it works. You find that you can actually do it pretty easily. Here's the reason. Let me conclude with this. There's a reason that we won't do it. There's a reason that you won't put that on your card. There's a reason that you and I will struggle to do this. The Bible also says, and we've been looking at Peter for some stuff. The Bible reminds us in Peter that our adversary... The devil, Satan himself, is is given the characteristic of a hungry lion. He's walking around looking for somebody to devour. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour your time. That's why some of you can't give Jesus 10 minutes out of your day. He wants to devour your resources. That's why you don't have any money to, to give and to be generous with. He wants to devour your talents. You're so focused on what makes you better that you're not willing to share with anybody else. And he wants to devour your testimony. He's looking to consume you. you got to remember his characteristics are he's a liar, he's a cheat, he's a thief. He wants to steal everything good out of your life and leave you either broken or dead. That's his goal. Why is that his goal? We started off this message by saying he knows that in the end he loses because Jesus is more powerful and we share that story with others. He doesn't want that getting out. That's why he's looking to devour you. How does he devour us? Good question. Thanks for asking. Let me read you a story. Here's where I want you to look at. It's in, it's in 2 Kings. You know I'm an Old Testament person. I love the Old Testament. There's a cool story in 2 Kings, and it actually has to do with warfare. And it says in 2 Kings chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible, I'll put it up on the screen for you. We're going to start in verse number 8. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, and Israel is synonymous with God's people in, at this time right now. And it says when he was, he was an enemy of Israel, he would, he would confer with his officers, and he would say... Hey, we're going to mobilize our forces at such and such a place. We're going to have a surprise attack. We're going we're to get these guys. And then it said, immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king, don't go near that place. The Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. 
So the king of Israel would send word to that place indicated by Elisha. That, and time and again, Elisha would warn the king so that, there, that they would be alerted. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and he demanded, hey, which one of you guys is the traitor? Who keeps informing the king of Israel about my plans? Oh, hey, Lord, not us. Not us. It's Elisha, the prophet of Israel. He tells the king even the words you speak in your, the privacy of your own bedroom. He knows everything that's going on here, boss. And so the king says in verse 13, go and find where he is, the king commanded. I, I'm going to send some troops to seize him, to capture him. And the report came back, Elisha's at Dothan. That's where he lived. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. You know, the enemy usually likes to come at night. You know that? When the enemy wants to devour you, he's going to wait till it's dark, it's heavy, your guard is down. He wants to devour you. He wants to capture you. He wants to make sure you're not having any more impact. He wants to make sure that you're down and out. So he will send his forces and it will come when you're least expecting it. So the enemy comes at night. And when the servant of the man of God, this is Elisha's servant, when his servant wakes up early in the, in the morning, he went outside and there were troops and horses and chariots everywhere. This was the pinnacle of warfare. This was to be like rolling out in the morning, wiping your eye boogers as you go out to like get a newspaper and then having a tank with the barrel pointing at your front door. You're like, I'll walk back in. <laughs> this guy's like creeping out. Like he's like, what the heck's going on here? Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. We love to panic, huh? We love to freak out. When we are not prepared, the enemy's intimidation will work. Somebody need to note this. His intimidation works on the unprepared. The Navy SEALs have a saying, and I don't know if it's really theirs. I think it, it gets attributed to them. I, I couldn't find the exact quote. But you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to your level of training. They say that because they want, they want to be trained well. You're gonna, a lot of people are like, oh, it's, you know, like, we're going to rise to the occasion. When it gets tough, we're going we're gonna to respond to it because we just are tough. No. When it gets tough, you, you by default will sink to your level of training. So they train really hard. Same thing goes for our, our faith. When the, when the enemy finds us unprepared, he intimidates the ever-living crap out of us. We walk into work. Oh, I ain't sharing my faith today. We show up, show up at the hospital. Oh, I can't talk about Jesus today. Uh, we sit down next to her. Oh, I can't share with her any hope. And we're intimidated. Because what we see is a battle that we don't think we can win. Come on. We look and we go, no, not a testimony. That I can't influence today, God. They're not going to receive it. They're not going to hear it. I'm not going to have the words. It's not going to work out well. I'm looking at a whole lot of bad guys. This is what he says. And so his... His more mature friend says, don't be afraid, Elisha says. There are more on our side than on theirs. I love when people say weird stuff that makes no mathematical sense. Uh, boss, you're an old dude, and I'm here. It's two against 2,000. Um, don't know where you went to school, but we're outnumbered, and uh, I might take one or two of them. <laughs> like we're, we're in trouble, boss. Hey, no, no, there's more on our side than on theirs. I don't think so. And this is what you hear when you hear a message like today's message. God is telling you, you go to work, you, you pull up to the family reunion, you, you get in the car with your friends, you walk into the locker room with your teammates, 
You sit down at the cubicle with your coworkers, and you feel outnumbered. You feel surrounded by darkness. And God goes, no, there's more of us than there are of them. This is the coolest part of the, of the thing. He says, Elisha prays, God opened his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. He didn't see the angels of God's army. He just looked and he saw the Arameans and he went, oh, there's a lot of bad guys. And God goes, hey, help him see what he doesn't really see. And he opened his, he opened his eyes again and he saw all that had been invisible before. He saw God had surrounded him with angels and chariots of fire. And when you roll up with your old school wooden chariot and then there's one flying in the air that's on fire, it's like, oh, y'all in trouble now. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is the attitude. He was like, oh. Let me read the rest of the story for you because it's kind of cool. I don't want to leave you hanging there. As the Aramean army advanced towards them, they didn't even use those angels. They were protected and they didn't even need it. Uh, this is what Elisha prayed. Lord, please make them blind. And the Lord struck the entire army with blindness as Elisha had asked. And Elisha went out and said, hey, you've come the wrong way. You guys aren't, you guys aren't where you need to be. Hey, let me take you to the right city. Follow me. He takes them all the way down into the city of Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, Lord, open their eyes. And they opened their eyes. And they, were, they discovered they were in the middle of Samaria. They were surrounded by the Israelite army. And the king of Israel saw them. He shouted to Elisha, my father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Wow. <laughs> Whatever. Elisha responds appropriately, of course not. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink. Love your enemy. What? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and sent them home to their master. And after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Here's a story about an all-out bloodbath that never happened. Because they finally saw that they didn't have to trust in themselves. There was something greater at work that they could trust in. They saw that even though it looked like they were surrounded by bad guys, they were actually surrounded by God's blessing. And it allowed them to show mercy and kindness to people who wanted to hurt them and kill them. When you begin to look at your own backyard, your neighborhood, your workplace, your family gatherings, when you look at your circle of friends, your circle of influence, whatever that may be, you will at times have the enemy going, you're surrounded, you are going to get destroyed, this isn't going to work out for you, do not fight this battle, crawl back into your hole, you don't need to tell anybody about Jesus today, look out for yourself, don't worry about influencing them, they don't want your hope, they don't need your hope, keep that to yourself. And what, what God is telling us is that, hey, when I'm with you, you don't have to worry about all of that. I fight these battles for you when you trust me. When I learn that all these battles I think I've got to fight with all these people that don't want to hear about the hope, what, I, what I'm really learning is that I just have to let God fight. He's going to touch their hearts. If I just show them love, if I show them who Christ is, if, I, if I'm faithful to point them to, to God, God will work in their hearts. And I have to be willing to step onto that battlefield and say, God, use me. Use me with him. Use me with her. Let me speak. Let me, let me love them the way that you would love them. Let me point them to you. I'm giving you access to me today, God. Even if it costs me something, I'm going to do it because I'm learning to trust you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I ask you, God, in this moment, 
Would you help us trust you more? Would you help us realize that our battles aren't fought by what we see, but God, that we can trust you because there's so much more going on behind the scenes, so much more happening in the throne room, throne room of heaven, God, that there's so much more at play than what we realize. We can be excited about what you're doing in the lives of our family members. We can be excited about the, the things that you want to see happen at our workplace. God, we can, be, we can be encouraged about the fact that you love our neighbors and you want our neighborhood to hear about you, that you, you value even our enemies. But God, you said in your word that you're not willing that any should perish, that you want everyone to hear the story of Jesus Christ, to, to be influenced by the hope that we have to share. So God, would you help us share that today? Lord, I pray that over this whole room, over the people that are watching at home, God, I pray that we would share our influence, that we would, we would try to impact the people around us with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that more people in here would experience it so that we can go out and represent it better. God, I know there's people under the sound of my voice that have never experienced it for themselves, so there's no way they can really truly share it with others. So God, I pray for the man or the woman, the boy or the girl that might be listening to me right now that needs to embrace you first. God, there's somebody here that doesn't know you really. They don't know how to trust you. They don't know that you can be the one calling the shots. I, God, I pray that you would in this moment give them the courage and the strength to pray and invite you into their life, to trust you as their savior to let you be the one in the driver's seat, to let you be the one calling the shots. God, would you save each and every one of us in this room that every person here would not only have their sins forgiven, but have a relationship with you. God, we need you. God, we need you to fight these battles that we're so intimidated by, that we're so scared by most of the time. God, we need you so much. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't see a possible way there could be any victory. And yet, God, you say to trust you. And so we're going to trust you today. That, God, when it looks like we're surrounded, that we're actually surrounded by you. And your will be done. We ask all of this in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.